Carlos Sainz, congratulations. That was quite a weekend at Monza. Yes, we are very happy. Uh, the car performed very well. Shame we didn't get the win, though. Overall, though, you must be very, very happy with how the weekend went. Yes, I think this was the most Italian Grand Prix for a very long time. You mean Ferrari getting pole and you and Charles racing right to the line and the wonderful reception by the Tifosi? No, no, I don't mean that. Then what do you mean? Well, I had my watch stolen outside the doors of the Armani Hotel. That's pretty Italian. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth. He's Zog. Hello. And there is no third or even fourth person for this programme. They're dropping like flies. Sarah couldn't make this recording and Alex is properly unwell at the moment. Yeah, poor chap. He really is. Rotten. I don't know how public this is, but he picked up a bug when he was in hospital for a procedure. And it's made him very, very, very ill. And he's managing to work, but he's seriously depleted in energy terms at the moment. So, yeah, get well soon, Alex. We miss you. Hey, Zog, did you miss Formula One during the summer break? How about that for a link, eh? That was elegant. Oh, well, no, I, I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> I did, I did. But it's back with a bang. And, yeah, we've had some good entertainment. Yeah, not too many bangs. That last race at Monza was Beautiful. Wasn't it elegant, Zog? Do you know what I mean by that? Well, it was elegant apart from I mean, apart from the on-track action, let's credit the Italian teams, Ferrari and Alfa Romeo, with both doing a terrific job with coming up with new liveries for Monza. And Absolutely. Yeah, and, and really great looking cars. I mean Alfa should stick with that Agreed. new livery. I think really I really love it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the Ferrari look echoing their Le Mans winner's livery was fantastic. I gather that the team merch was flying off the shelves even faster than usual at the race. And I'm not surprised, quite fancied one of those team shirts. Yeah, me too. Uh, They are so cool. I mean, for me, you know how I feel about the, uh, what was it, the Ferrari 333 SP sports car in Momo colours. Right, yep. So yellow is a Ferrari colour. Put yellow on a sports car, it works for me. That car that won Le Mans this year couldn't have been prettier for me. It was the car I wanted to win. Le Mans and I was so thrilled when they honoured their sort of Le Mans tradition in Formula One which is kind of interesting you know we talk about crossovers don't we in TV series and comic books it was almost like a motorsport (laughs) crossover moment where you admit there is another universe it was like the Lower Decks uh, <laughs> Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds uh, crossover, yes. which was fantastic. It really, truly was a work of utter genius, and it made me grin all yeah. the way through. I would talk at length about that with you, Zog, but this isn't the podcast. But yeah, we'd, we wouldn't be able to shut you up, so end of subject. Yeah, I am on a Star Trek podcast. I appear on Make It So, a Star Trek legacy podcast where I discuss three key episodes in Voyager, recorded it uh, a little while back, and it's out there at the moment. If you want to hear me talking about Star Trek, go there, right? I loved it. I Honestly. I bet. I bet. I bet I'm sure you... Yeah. But, hey, listen, the glory of Monza, I said it looked sort of magnificent. You know, the singing of the anthem beforehand, the colours on the cars, the strong Italian presence. Even I was 
proud to be Italian at the <laughs> beginning of the race. That's how I felt. I am a bit of an Italianophile, though. You know that. We all are. You know, who wouldn't be yeah. to the uh, Italian food, Italian style, yeah. Italian racing cars, yeah. Italian passion. Yeah. Uh, what's not to love? But Monza is one of those races that I think has a particular deeper character than a lot of other races. And I think, you know, even watching it, you know, at, at TV distance, that comes across and you think, yeah, that will be a particularly good race to be at, particularly good atmosphere. What do they call it? Tempio di Velocitia or something like that. The Temple of Speed. I was describing it to someone who doesn't understand these things, doesn't understand Formula One, that, you know, if Ferrari are like the Catholic team in Formula One, being the Italian team, then Monza is effectively the Vatican, isn't it, of Formula One. I guess, yes, <laughs> yes. I think that would, that would but yeah, 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 I, I see, I, I see that, I can see that. Would Silverstone be the Carnaby Street of Formula One, perhaps? I don't know. The Church of England. The Westminster uh, Abbey. I'd personally prefer a secular analogy here. Good. Let's say it's the Carnaby Street, the Oxford Street of Formula One, maybe. Uh, they renamed one of the corners, didn't they? It's not called Parabolica anymore. It's called Curva Alberetto now, named after Michele Alberetto, yes. I suppose. Yeah, yes, who is you know absolutely worth commemorating. It's although mm. although, although that, that that name you know I think you know for a lot of people you know it, it will always be Parabolica because that's uh, yeah. that's that's the name that you know one's known it by. Just like the Lowe's hairpin is always the Lowe's hairpin. Yeah, yeah. The Lowe's hairpin. But we should also credit the Italian teams or one of the Italian teams, Ferrari, for making that race. So entertaining, you know. They didn't come away with the win, but what entertainment we got! You know what we, what terrific value we got from science in that race. They almost spoiled it right at the end didn't they? with their little uh, yeah, yeah. That, that must be a heart in the mouth moment for Ferrari bosses with their little coming together. For the benefit of those who don't know the moments we're talking about, Leclerc was trying to pass science to get third in the last sort of five laps and they were told by their race director they were said that no risk but you are free to race which is uh, a contradiction in terms you might say a racing driver's idea of no risk is different to a team boss's idea of no yeah. risk i would suggest yeah it was yeah. heroic and they did manage to keep it on the circuit. I think Leclerc made more mistakes trying to pass Sainz. Sainz drove very elegantly, very adultly, very intelligently. And it was a remarkable tussle. I genuinely had heart in my throat. You know, I think I'm more tifosi than I realise. And I particularly like the lineup at Ferrari at the moment. I admire Leclerc as a human being. And I think Sainz is a far better driver than I previously ever gave him credit for. And to see those two on the edge, I thought, please don't mess it up, guys. Come on, we need Ferrari. Heaven knows we need someone to take the challenge to Red Bull. And of all the teams this year, you know, Ferrari came out looking good. Aston Martin came out looking good. But Ferrari are back in it again. Isn't it ebbing and flowing a great deal? It is, yeah. I mean, although I think we should maybe take a little bit of... um uh, have a little bit of caution in looking at those results and saying that Ferrari is suddenly the second fastest team because uh, you know, Ferrari pulled out all the stops for this weekend. They did absolutely everything they could in terms of doing whatever they could technically with getting the maximum out of the engine and just digging deeper within themselves and also not making any stops 
stupid mistakes and pit stops. Yeah, yeah, they were famous for. Yeah. Uh, what should we do this weekend? Let's not f*** up. How about that? Ah, um, yeah, yeah. They were... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they uh, did you know everything they possibly could to get performance this weekend. That they may not maintain this uh, relative pace, but Monza does have an interesting way of sort of. I think it, it often seems to you know shake things out in quite a yeah. quite a revealing way. You yeah. know, we've got, you know, so you know it's it, it, it's a Red Bull one two, then Ferrari three four, then Mercedes five six. There's <laughs> there's a lot of consistency there, and uh, you know you can read a, you can read a decent amount into that. It often throws up um, unusual results as well, like a, a Gasly win or, heck, Vettel's first win at Toro Rosso, which uh, got him uh, the Red Bull drive. Hey, while we're talking about Red Bull, Max Verstappen, 10 wins in a row, Zog. Uh, yeah, I mean, respect. Wow. You know, he's driving, he's on phenomenal form. He is pretty much unbeatable this season. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. certainly in that car. He's doing an incredible job. They've given him a great race car, and he's absolutely doing what they need him to do. He's, he's just he's winning, 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 and winning. And you know, <laughs> there's no sign of that stopping. And you know, he didn't even seem to be really pushing himself. You know, when early in the race there was that little moment where, in the first forty or fifteen laps, when Science having held on to pole position off the start, was hanging on to the lead, Verstappen's chasing him, and, you know, he had a couple of goes at getting past, and Sykes was defending beautifully, quite strongly, quite assertively. And There was a moment where Verstappen was on the team radio, not exactly complaining about Sykes' drive, but I think he said, oh, that was a bit naughty, wasn't it? Yeah. But you could tell he wasn't frustrated from the tone of his voice. You could tell, I think, that he knew he was going to get past him in a few laps. And he wasn't going to have to work terribly hard to do that, you know. He wanted to do it as soon as possible, but it's, it's going to happen. I think he read that exactly right, because and if you saw the onboard footage of the start, you've got Catalos slightly ahead of, of, of Max. And when they went into the first corner, the onboard from Max's car shows that Max braked much earlier than Sainz in front of him. So... He was thinking, yeah, I'm not going to get into a tussle in this situation. I've got performance to get past him, either over several stints or perhaps even in a few laps. He let him lead, he let him go, waited till he's got comfortable with his cars and then the attack came on. It was kind of the hunt was on, that sort of feeling right from the word go. You know, can Ferrari keep mm. them at bay? Not very long was the answer. Right. But that was part of the entertainment. You kind of know it was coming. But it was still spectacular when it happened. But you're right, the closing laps with Leclerc and Sainz, that's what we pay for in Formula One, isn't it? That stuff. And we kind of needed that yeah. because, uh, you know, when when Red Bull and Verstappen are being so dominant, you know, you need a bit of uncertainty. You yeah. need some drama down the rest of the field. You need some real competition and racing to be happening at some point down the field. And so thank you to Ferrari for delivering on that front. Sainz and Leclerc were yeah, stars of the weekend. Uh, I think no question. While we're on the... Italian trip. There is one Italian team that we haven't mentioned. The team formerly known as Toro Rosso, currently known as Alpha Tauri, next year to be called, we think Hugo Boss, I think is, is the latest betting that they will rebrand the team Hugo Boss. Intriguing. But they messed up with Tsunoda. His car failed on the formation lap. 
But Liam Lawson, he has a very special set of skills. You've heard me say that before. <laughs> Liam Lawson, he was terrific in F2 and is proving to do a very good job in Daniel Ricciardo slash Nick DeVries' car. Yeah, 11th is a very solid uh, yeah. very solid result for him. Yeah. yeah. In a difficult-to-drive car, everybody seems to think. Uh, Ricciardo's out now. We don't think he's going to make it back for Singapore, the next race. He must be kicking himself. Yeah, I hadn't actually heard that he wasn't going to be around for Singapore. For sure. is, that, is that definite or is that still speculation? I think, it is, I think it is definite that Liam Lawson will drive in Singapore. Right. Daniel's had some metal work put into his fingers, hasn't he? Yeah. That takes time to heal. But, you know, racing drivers, they do heal super quick. They give them that sort of super cold treatment, don't they? And that seems to help bones bind more quickly. Does it? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm uh, okay. I mean, um, well, so yeah, they I say. Yeah, I wonder. It sort of sounds a little bit. Like, I, 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 I believe that you know a lot of sports people, under the advice and supervision of good physiotherapists and professionals, do uh, use some of this this cold treatment. So maybe there really is something to it. I wonder. I, I, hey, if anyone's got uh, some actual. Uh, evidence links to yes to good you know peer-reviewed evidence yeah. i'd be interested to, uh, oh, yeah, interested cool. to see that yeah um, fascinating i i just accepted it but you're right they, they, it, it does um slightly edge into the venn diagram of uh what i call wellness rather than health well that's kind of yeah what i what i wonder about whether yeah. it's one of those uh things that has a certain sort of plausibility but it's possibly one of those therapies that's uh where there's no effect actually than the therapeutic effect of being in a room with somebody who is saying here's this treatment uh -huh. we're paying attention to you i am listening to how you're feeling yeah. i am talking about your medical issues here you're getting a sympathetic ear and that makes you feel better. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wonder, I yeah, wonder. Yeah, yeah, you feel better in yourself because you're getting attention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's definitely, you know, like acupuncture or homeopathy and, yeah. you know, definitely doing nothing other than essentially a, a placebo, a fancy placebo. Uh, but I, I wonder, I wonder. But in any case, but, <laughs> yeah, get well soon, Danny Rick. We want to see you back in a racing car and uh, entertaining at the weekend because we love Danny Rick in a race car. Yeah. I made spaghetti a la vongola, of course, over the Monza weekend. I like to try and make a meal that reflects the nation that are hosting the race. You know, Barcelona, I will make a paella. I'll even have a go at some crude sushi or Japanese salmon teriyaki for the Japanese Grand Prix. You know, I'll give it nice. a go, yep. give it a go. I made spaghetti alla vongola, a recipe that I got whilst in Rome in, I think, 97 when I was in Italy to go to Imola for the San Marino Grand Prix it was back then. And so I associate that. You know that dish. We have it when Very we good. go to Le Mans, don't we? Yeah, I do that. But it, it made me think, you know, we don't do enough Italian food motorsport crossover. We should have, I don't know, uh, things like um, insalata caprese alesi. For instance, as an Lacy fan, I, although oh, you're saying Italian, of course, um, uh, but um, he's, le he's French, legally French, Corsican. isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Good point. His real name isn't even John; it's Giovanni Lacy, I think. I think you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, which brings me to Pasta Fisichella, 
which is a recipe which uh, I think you might see in a restaurant somewhere. Oh, pasta fisichella. Oh, ooh, you read it, you know, it's got capers in it. It's got chilies. It, it, ooh, it's very, very promising. When you get it, there's just not enough of that in it. And it's ultimately just a little bit disappointing. And I only can say that I, I, from the point of view of a massive fisichella fan who, when he finally drove for Ferrari, it was shocking. It was hopeless, wasn't it? It was a bit of a shame, but I can guarantee there are going to be restaurants in the Monza area and in the oh. Modena area that are going to have Ferrari or motorsport themed yeah. named dishes. I think I put money on it. I and, um, never occurred to me, on. but yeah, absolutely it's a, it's a dead right. Cert. Yeah, they have to be. Actually, they made an interesting road trip. Uh, that's uh, yeah, yeah research, researching motorsport food in the Monza and uh, Modena yeah. areas. They will they will remarket oh, um, steak as I don't know Schumacher. They could have a Gerhard I, I, Burger, um, a Gerhard Burger, oh, <laughs> a Gerhard Burger. There you go. All right. <laughs> I was going to say uh, schnitzel for Gerhard Burger, but no, a burger. A steak. I think that, that, that seems like that should be more of a. Yeah, well, that, that should be, I don't know, uh, steak a la Mansell. That steak a la uh, Mansell. That, that yeah. You know, I think that would be uh, it would be quite a Nigel Mansell dish. And of course, yeah. he won the love of the Tavosi for his, his efforts at Ferrari. Il Leone. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. By the way, there's a Mansell documentary. Where did I see it? Was it on Sky? which I don't know if I've mentioned on the show before. My gosh, I saw it and it was an eye-opener. I saw Mansell in a way I'd never seen him before. That sounds like the line oh, that really? describes, see Mansell in a way you've never seen him before, but it genuinely did. It opened my heart to this big, soft, very emotional, hard-working, determined, lovely fellow by all accounts. Mm. Very mm. sort of vulnerable sort of man. I'd never really had an emotional relationship with Mansell ever. Yeah. Uh, I, I skipped him for some reason. Uh, Damon and it was James Hunt and Jackie Stewart and Enzo before that for me. And Prost in the in the Mansell period. But I really admire Mansell now and I've always taken the mick out of him. But I, I think I uh, I stand down from that now. He's he was an extraordinary man. Is an extraordinary man. On Sky, you say? I think it was, it was on Sky, yeah. I'm gonna, I, I will look out for that. Yeah, uh, I, it, worth it. Recommend it uh, to anyone who's unfamiliar with the history of F1, why are you listening to this show? And second of all, yeah, go and watch that. (laughs) But hey, since we're talking about Ferrari, how about the Ferrari movie that is coming out? Are you excited to see a Michael Mann Ferrari movie? I don't Uh, know anything about this. Forgive me, who's Michael Mann? Director of Thief with uh, James Caan, director of Heat, Famous with uh, Al Pacino, uh, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, um, etc. One of the uh, absolutely great, you know, crime movies of recent times. Director of Last of the Mohicans and L.A. Takedown, which was the TV movie that Heat was then based on. It's very interesting to watch L.A. Takedown Uh and Heat uh, kind of, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, qu- quite close together. Uh, and he also directed a lot of uh, Miami Vice, I think, before he got into making films. But he's a terrific filmmaker, and he has made an Enzo Ferrari biopic starring oh. Adam Driver. What's not to like? Wow, oh, that sounds like it could be sort of dark and Italianate and very sort of mafiosi and all that. That's an intriguing uh, idea. I, well, uh, I'm not sure that he'll have, you know, 
shoehorn <laughs> any heat-style shootouts into it. I think it will be more historically accurate than that. I'm expecting it to be a really good-looking, solid, terrific film. Uh, I'll be surprised if it's anything <laughs> if it's anything but. And, of course, Adam Driver's a, a wonderful actor. What's he been in? I don't know that, that name. I'm not very good on all this, sorry. OK, Adam Driver, Kylo Ren in the recent Star Wars films. I know you're not a Star Wars guy, so you may have entirely blanked and missed out <laughs> on that. He was in... Um, Hang on, was Kylo Ren that long-faced fella who was the sort of Darth Vader surrogate in one of the films? Is that right? Uh, yes, Hooray! yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. I got somewhere. Uh, he's in uh, A House of Gucci. He was in uh, a Marriage Story. Right. Uh, Annette, the, the Sparks movie. He was, uh, oh. he, was, uh, he was in the recent-ish Sparks musical, yep. say recent, a couple of years ago. Um, uh, White Noise. Um, I, I, and, Zog, we can stop there. I think he, we've established he's a very popular, well-known actor. Who, he's a, he, yeah, yeah he, 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 a popular and good actor. Well, you mentioned one of the films there, Last of the Mohicans. Yes. I've never been able to watch that film because... I haven't even seen the penultimate of the Mohicans yet. So, you know, I won't know what's going on. I hate coming to a series late on. You know, it's like watching Star Trek 4 when you haven't watched Star Trek 3, isn't it? The last of the Mohicans. Thank you very much. There we go. But yeah, I'm intrigued by this movie. That's, that's promising. It's good that Hollywood is paying attention to motorsport at the moment. Again, you might say, you know, we had the Ferrari versus Ford film. We've got the Brad Pitt film. Yeah, We've, yeah, yeah. Uh, the trend is good and these films in theory will be better than Driven, which is not only the, one of the worst motorsport films ever made, but possibly one of the worst films ever made. Do you remember the Sly Stallone film, Driven? That was supposed to be an F1 movie that ended up being an IndyCar or Champ Car kart series movie. And it was shocking. It was lunacy. No, I, I never did see it because it was... Um... Pointless seeing. It was obviously going to be uh, so bad. There's another film called Driven that I haven't watched and I haven't decided whether I want to watch it or not. Uh But it's come up a couple of times on my Netflix or Amazon recommendations. I can't remember which one it's on. But it's a DeLorean story movie. I'm not sure, not, not biopic exactly, but, you know, the story of John DeLorean and the DeLorean motor car. Ooh. And the first couple of times this it, it had popped up on, you know, my recommendation screen, I, I thought, is the guy who's presumably supposed to be DeLorean there, is that Steve Carell? It looks a bit like Steve Carell doing those straight roles. But actually it's turned out to be Lee Pace, the guy who is the middle emperor in the uh, Apple TV Foundation adaptation, which is quite interesting. I'm, I've got mixed feelings about it as a, as a fan of the, the Foundation books. Yep, of course. Asimov. Of course. You know, embarking on an adaptation of the Foundation books is a pretty ambitious, possibly crazy yep. thing to yep. try and do. But, but, but they did, and it, it's a slightly mixed bag. Um, it's not all good, but it's very watchable. I, I am enjoying it. And yeah, and anyway, Lee Pace, DeLorean, has a significant role in Foundation series. So is the DeLorean documentary on Netflix, did you say? Not a Sorry, documentary. Not a, 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 a documentary. It's a it's a it's, it's yeah. a feature film. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, it's a movie. Uh, no, Amazon. Yeah, it's on Amazon. Amazon. Cool. I will plunge into yeah. that. I yeah. love the DeLorean story. Who doesn't? Come on, it's it's got everything. It's got 
outrage. It's got money. It's got innovation. It's got Irish people. It's probably got a drug heist and it's got an entrapment by the feds. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a movie. Of course it's a movie. It's quite yeah. a story. Yeah, and yeah, it finishes absolutely. with it being turned into a time machine. So it, you know, satisfies my science fiction needs too. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, what's not to lie? Exactly. Hey, while we're talking science fiction, you know, we've drifted from Formula One to movies and upcoming car movies. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Can we talk about space, Zog? Because you and I, I keep a keen eye on what's going on in space tech at the moment. There have been some notable things happening in the recent month, and there's some truly amazing stuff about to happen in the next month. We'll talk about the future in a moment, but let's talk about what has happened. First of all, Lunar 25, the Russian probe that was attempting to land near the South Pole, had a catastrophic failure, an anomaly when it was in low lunar orbit and crashed into the surface of the moon. Oh, I was really disappointed because, as you know, my favourite rover my, on any planet anywhere, including Land Rovers on Earth, is Lunacod, the Soviet-era Russian, if you like, rovers, which landed on the moon in, what, 70 and 72? Is that about right? Was it 72 and 74? I can't remember. Uh, I think yeah. so, yeah. I think, you'd be, I think you'd, know, you'd be better on those. I love Lunacod. Um, yeah. I'd understood that Luna 25 was going to have a rover on board that had been financed by a Saudi Arabian firm or someone else, but they pulled out at the last minute. There was no rover on that, which is a great shame because, it, you know, I'd like to have another rover delivered to the moon by uh, the people who were the first to leave Earth. But massive respect to ISRO, the Indian Space Agency, for using their launcher to put Chandrayaan-3 successfully on the lunar surface in the South Pole, a mountainous region, with a simple little lightweight rover. Oh, come on, Zog, this is amazing stuff, isn't it? And it's also remarkably low cost. They did it for, I think, 75 million. Amazing. Yeah, no, it is amazing. No, they did a terrific job. They've done a really, yeah, it's a very impressive job that the Indian Space Agency pulled off there. And of course, first to land at the south pole of the moon, which is a significant region, partly because we think there's a decent amount of water there. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, we're not 100% sure the distribution of it and how much, because it's a region that it gets a lot less sunlight than the rest of the moon. There are more regions in there that spend most of their time uh, in... In shadow. Uh, in shadow. Yeah. And, that, and that's a good place for water to hang around because if there is water on the moon and you know we we know there is that you know it, that there is water on the moon but it, you know, it's in some cycle of being water vapor in the thin lunar atmosphere and then you know freezing into or onto the surface and then sublimating again into vapor but we we just don't know the detail of quite how much water there is and exactly where it is and how these cycles work but we are inching closer to finding out Right, exactly. And India are doing a solid job of contributing to the, to that work of getting us a, a better understanding of it. So, um, yeah, terrific job. Well done. Yeah, we're after the lunar permafrost, really, aren't we, I suppose? 
I think permafrost would be. Uh, ask a geologist yeah. or a space geologist. I guess you know permafrost to me is you know it's kind of meters deep frozen soil yeah. with a relatively high kind of water concentration. I'm not sure whether that's quite what you've got on any part of the moon. Probably not. But let's find out. But I think they also did a thing where you might know more about this, but I think landing on the South Pole required getting the mission into a, a polar orbit around the moon, which is harder to get into than an equatorial orbit, an orbit that would be in more or less the same plane as the Earth's equator. If you're launching a satellite from Earth into low Earth orbit or a, any other Earth orbit, it's easier to get it into an orbit around the equator than it is to get it on a polar orbit. Yep. It's the same if you're then, you know, doing that at the, at the moon. And it's, there's a lot of change in uh, direction and velocity to do when you get there to change. There's, your, yeah, there's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because the next proposed American mission to land on the moon, which I believe is Artemis 3, could get pushed to Artemis 4, they are going to use, let me see if I've got this right, is it called a near rectolineal halo orbit? Imagine the way that a halo behaves around a, a head, yeah. but a near rectilinear halo orbit is where that orbit is on the far side of the moon. Mm. It's greater than the diameter of the moon and it's eccentric. Mm. And that's how they're going to translate to landing in the polar regions by achieving this near rectilineal, I think it's called that, halo orbit mm. uh, and this is you know this is new we've not done this before so i think um, as far as i know the chandrayaan 3 probe was special before it even landed uh the mm. the, the russian sorry, yeah the russian uh, glass what they called roscosmos uh, failed to make that work for whatever reason just to, to briefly touch on the russian thing and roscosmos whose boss was recently replaced the i don't know the yeah, the, the old boss was a, a, li a little bit uh, a little bit nuts, I think. Yeah. <laughs> a little uh, bit nuts. It's like being a little bit pregnant, isn't it? <laughs> but um, uh, I mean, yeah, but no, but, but, but Roscosmos, the Russian space program, is suffering massively from the fact that whereas in the days of the USSR it was a reasonably well-funded, well-resourced program, since Russia inherited that and took it forward, they've just massively underinvested in every aspect of it. They don't have enough good young. Uh, engineers and uh, technicians and you know professionals working for them I believe they just haven't spent enough money they're just coasting too much on relying too much on their legacy and yeah. I think you know and, and, and so I, I my my hot take is simply that this failure is probably at least partly a result of the fact that they just haven't you know invested enough in their program but also you know at the moment you know at the same time that I have a massive respect for what so many individuals achieved as part of the USSR space program. Oh, yes. Uh, Alexei Leonov and Koryalev and others. I find it very hard to cheer for any Russian achievements at the moment. Uh, yeah, me too. I feel the same. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, I'd, I would be, I'd be very, have a very hard time celebrating any Russian achievements at the yeah, moment. Yeah, agreed. So. I've had the privilege of meeting General Alexei Leonov, the first man, the first human to walk in space. Mm. And it would have been the first man to set foot on the moon if the uh, Soviet N1 
moon rocket hadn't blown up three times in testing on the pad and that they'd managed to mm. get the weight of the uh, lunar cabin, the one-man lunar lander that he would have piloted to the lunar surface. If he managed to get that weight down, he would have been there. Yeah, so yeah, I'm with you. You know, Yuri Gagarin and Alexei Leonov, you could argue, were the greatest heroes of the Soviet Union, an organization which has a lot of stuff to be very embarrassed about, but has much stuff to be proud of as well. Its technical achievements are incredible, really, for a nation like that. So, yeah, I'm sad that the Russian program isn't well-funded at the moment. Do you know who's contributing to this, song? Who's contributing to the program or contributing to not funding it? What uh... Contributing to the lack of funding for the Russian space program. I'll tell you. Go on. Elon Musk. Since... NASA decided that they needed autonomy for their crew resupply missions to the space station. The number of Russian flights of the unmanned progress, which resupplies food and other uh, comestibles, is that a word even? It is, it is, yeah. yeah. And SpaceX then developed a manned version of Dragon, or human crewed version of Dragon, which could take astronauts the space station the number of flights that russia was getting paid for carrying stuff up to the iss has dropped significantly you just mm. got to look at spacex's launch cadence now where are we september now and they've launched a hundred rockets this year 80 percent of the mass leaving earth in the last 12 months has been put there by spacex the other 20 percent is made up by China for 10%, and the other 10% is the rest of the world combined. So that mm, means mm. non-SpaceX American launches too. It's incredible. I think SpaceX's cadence is even greater than Max Verstappen's winning <laughs> regime cadence at the moment. I wonder what proportion of the mass that SpaceX are putting into orbit, I wonder what proportion of it is... Coming back. ...their own... No, well, no, I wonder what proportion of it is... Uh, oh, yeah, Starlink. Uh, ...of what they're getting into orbit. I wonder what proportion of it is... Yeah, is Starlink satellites, yeah. their own their own constellation, and how much of it is commercial payloads uh, for other people. Mm. But, I mean, you know, certainly if you want a reliable and cheaper way of getting your things into space, you know, SpaceX is it. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's so doing it. It's working. But since we talk about the moon and technical achievements, let's just also mention that it's the UK that is going to put a communication satellite in orbit around the moon. I didn't know this. Yeah. Who? I would have to look that up. I'm not sure who's building it, but... Not in Marsat or someone like that, is it? No? Do they exist still? I'm not sure. Like, I can't remember who's building it, but there will be a comm satellite around them. It will, will be a British satellite. And this will be a bigger thing. And as America is going back to the moon with you know crewed missions with Artemis, it will be pretty surprising if China doesn't have Taikonauts on the moon before too long. Yeah. Wouldn't be that surprising if India maybe, you know, goes that way as well. You know, they, they, they yeah. have, you know, big ambitions in space also. There's going to be a lot more activity, you know, around the moon and we will need some infrastructure up there to support a lot of the activity. And the UK will be contributing to that infrastructure in a significant way in putting a communication satellite up there. So this is driven by the Artemis project, or the Lunar Gateway project, quite possibly. The Lunar Gateway, if you don't know, is an orbiting space station, again, in a near rectilineal halo orbit, I think. Forgive me if I got that right or wrong. Um, which will be a kind of staging post for regular trips from lunar orbit down to the lunar surface. We, we will have a lunar outpost in orbit around the moon. That's going to be a hard one to sustain, I think, that one. Hard. I don't think I've 
heard any updates on Lunar Gateway for a while. I'm not I'm not sure what the status of that is, because it? Uh, it may be that that's kind of dropping down priorities a bit, that its uh, plans have changed a bit. I'm not sure how committed everybody is to Lunar Gateway. I'm not sure if the proposed first human landing on the moon since Apollo absolutely relies i think it does absolutely rely on lunar gateway starship is the lunar landing variant whatever they call it the human landing system virtue hls i think that is only capable of transporting astronauts from lunar orbit to the lunar surface it's not designed to carry astronauts from earth to the moon they're going to go in the orion caption from earth to the moon on an artemis sls rocket and then transfer into Lunar Gateway, the Starship arrives, they get into Starship and then pilot that as a shuttlecraft, I think, down mm. to the lunar surface. But NASA have also put out a second pitch for someone to design an alternative lunar lander to Starship now. They want a bit of redundancy, a different system, and that's been granted now, hasn't it? Well, here's another thought. SpaceX recently... I think in the last couple of weeks, announced that they were looking at putting in Earth orbit a Starship-based space station. Yeah, rather along the lines of, you know, if we remember, before there was an International Space Station, yeah. there was Skylab. And Skylab yeah. was based at its heart on a section of a Saturn V rocket. The S-4B stage, the third stage, hollowed out, empty. I loved Skylab. There you go. So I wouldn't be surprised if, let's say, there is no lunar gateway. Mm. Maybe part of what SpaceX is thinking here is that whatever they come up with as a Starship-based station for Earth orbit could also work in Absolutely. lunar orbit and would do the yeah. job that the, the yeah. gateway would do in this case of yeah. Yeah, allow of, of, of a, being a transfer point between the Orion capsule and a lunar landing version of the Starship to get, uh, yeah. to, to get boots sense. on the moon again. I, I wonder if that's yeah. what they're thinking. You, you do have to be careful. I always think that, you know... Um, Projects like this need to operate a bit like airlines. You know, an airline will never buy a fleet of entirely Boeing aircraft. Half their fleet will be made up of Airbus or Embraer or anyone else. Even, you know, directly comparable vehicles, they will mix and match because if one is grounded, an aircraft grounded, you're, you're knackered, your entire fleet's out. So there's sort of built-in redundancy. And I think that's what they're doing here. And should they really, truly be relying on Starship for not only the lunar landing version, but also the get heavy stuff into orbit, get fuel to the moon, be a space station to the moon. It's asking a lot of a multi-purpose vehicle. And as we saw with the shuttle, sometimes asking it to do too many things results in a compromised vehicle. They have to be very different types, each of these. The, you make a small change to a rocket, it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Yeah, but I think I push back a little bit on making that analogy, but between the shuttle and Starship and how trying to make the shuttle do too much compromised it and how a similar thing could happen to Starship. I mean, if the fundamental design of Starship was being changed in order to make it fulfil these different roles in a single platform, then I think that could be the case. But I don't imagine that is what they'll be talking about. You know, the... the um, They'll the, engineer versions, quite different versions. Exactly, yeah. There'll be something like a special version of, mm. a re-engineered version of the Starship 
to be, you know, module one of their station onto which, you know, other bits then get carried up into all of it and, and, and bolted on. And again, there'll be another landing, you know, because... Uh, you know, at the same time, that there's obviously a very direct comparison in that these are reusable space vehicles. I think SpaceX seems to be much more into the idea of making a whole lot of these things and just cranking them out, and you know, therefore presumably, you know, be able to, you know, you know adapt them. Exactly, you know, adapt them to the different yeah. roles. Um, whereas the shuttle fleet was a much smaller fleet of extremely expensive experimental vehicles. Mm, yeah, like prototype. They were like F1 cars, whereas the Starship is more analogous to, I don't know, a truck platform chassis or something like that. Versatile and churned out in its thousands. Well, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's a weird mix of cutting edge and old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old school. It's made of steel. You know, it's not made of high-tech composites. It's made of steel. Outrageous, uh, isn't it? Yeah. It looks like a big tin can. It shouldn't look like that. It should look like alabaster. And they're right. It but seems to work. So bring me two Starship in the final minute that we've got on this programme. Bring me two Starship. We are likely to see the launch of, is it Booster 9 and Ship 25? Is that right, I think? I'll take your word for that. The stack. Are we going to see the launch of a Starship and Booster combination? Second attempt... What are your odds on it succeeding this time? It's likely to happen in the next three weeks, I think. I'm going to say 75%. Yeah? What, a success? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think SpaceX is prepared to fail. Yeah. They're prepared to blow stuff up on the way to shaking the problems out of their launch systems. Yeah. I mean, the biggest problem with the last Starship launch was really the... It was more the, the damage to the pad and the, you know, spectacular redistribution of all of the concrete under the rocket. They found lumps of concrete over a mile away, apparently. Yeah, I, I believe it. Yeah. Let's um, hope they've got that under control. I think, yeah, I believe they've realised that they were a little bit hand-wavy and, yeah, we don't need to worry about that. It'll be fine, you know, with the previous launch facility and they need to pay a bit more attention to the launch pad and making sure that it can survive the huge amount of energy that gets dumped onto it when Starship launches. An insane amount of energy. I cannot wait to see that. I'm as excited about that as I am for the Singapore Grand Prix, possibly even more so for the rocket launch. And I think you probably are too. That is pretty excited. Yeah, I, I, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't wait. But for now, we wish Alex well. We look forward to having Sarah back with us as soon as she can. But for now, Zog, thank you very much indeed. Uh, good to catch up. Yep, this was Gareth Jones on Speed. I was Gareth. And hey, happy landings, everybody. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>